0: This episode of the 343 podcast is supported by Bounce Athletics. Bounce Athletics is offering you an additional 10% discount because they know that you are serious about high-quality soccer products if you are listening to this show. Training balls from Bounce Athletics can be customized with your logo and your color scheme and will only cost you about $15 to $20 per ball. And if you compare similar textured training balls from Nike, Adidas, or Select... Those would be in the $50 to $60 range. Now, I've personally tested the balls from Bounce Athletics. They feel great. They look great. They roll great. They hold air, which is super important. They are legit, and I highly recommend them. To top everything off, Bounce Athletics will send you complimentary mockups of what your balls will look like with your logo on them. Just email your logo to info at Bounce Athletics to begin the order process. And remember to mention 343 so you get that additional 10% discount when you place your order. This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Ivan Bandoff is a youth soccer coach from California's Bay Area. And he has a wide range of experience, including youth club, high school, ODP, junior college, and division one college. His aim is to provide quality technical and tactical training on the field. And in addition, help develop good people while teaching life skills through soccer. Now, when we recorded this episode, he had just stepped away from an incredibly successful girls high school program where he helped them earn a record of 141 wins. 18 losses, and 19 ties. That is incredible, my friend. Very, very good job. He's also been a Surf Cup Supergroup finalist. He's won multiple State Cup titles, and he's won the top division of NorCal Premier Leagues two times. He has a very unique perspective on soccer and has experienced or can relate to just about every problem that youth coaches will ever encounter. And I've actually had to tap Uh, tap into him as a resource for some stuff that I was experiencing here in my area and he gave me some great feedback and some great advice and so uh, needless to say Ivan is a a, just an excellent resource for everything youth soccer Um, we touch on a wide array of topics during this episode so I hope that you enjoy this podcast with Ivan if you do you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts on Stitcher Google Play or Spotify and you can help other people find the show by giving it a five-star rating wherever you are listening. And you can also share it on social media if you want. I would really love that. Um, If you want to provide even more support for the 343 podcast, the best way to do that is by joining the 343 Premium Coaching Membership Program. I've been a member of the 343 program since its inception, but it wasn't until later that I started this podcast and began sharing bits and pieces of what I had been learning for several years prior. And needless to say, the membership helped me, along with thousands of other coaches, learn about possession-based soccer, and it has been the absolute best investment that I've made when it comes to coaching education. Best of all, it's a simple program that doesn't confuse you or bog you down with excess or unnecessary information that you will never, ever use. And I say that from the bottom of my heart because I've invested and I've (laughs) time and money in so many different coaching education programs and none of the information stuck with me. This is the only thing that stuck with, uh, that has stuck with me. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing it. So that's yeah, off script, but that's how I honestly feel. Uh, the three, four, three membership program teaches you a proven possession based methodology, which comes directly from one of the best coaches in American soccer. So when you sign up, you get instant access to videos of real games and real training sessions. And those together help you learn, how to coach possession-based soccer. And you also get 24 seven online access to eBooks, audio lessons, recorded classroom presentations on field clinics and access to members only forums for networking and sharing ideas with other three, four, three coaches. And you get all of that for just $295, which is an incredible deal and a fraction of the price of what other coaching education courses cost. And once again, I know that because I spent money on all that shit. Trust me, I went through it all, um, and if you trust me enough to listen to this podcast, you should trust me enough to, uh, to take that recommendation. Don't go spend money on all that other crap. Okay, sorry. Uh, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about the benefits and for all of the details about the uh, the 343 Coaching Program. All right, now it's time for what you've been waiting for. I hope that you enjoy this, uh, this chat with my Croatian friend, Ivan Bandoff. Let's uh let's just start with uh, with an introduction. Tell sure. tell everybody who you are, and then and maybe just describe. You kind of just mentioned right now, like you know the different facets that you're involved in, but describe right. uh maybe the most current event. I'll I'll let you right. um, talk about that, and then and we'll just go from there.
1: Cool. Um, I've been I'm Ivan Bandov, a youth soccer coach, uh, born and raised in Burlingame, California, which is about 20 minutes south of San Francisco. Uh, but my parents are from Croatia. Um, so obviously soccer uh, is a big, big thing in our family and I kind of fell in love with it uh, when I started playing and kind of knew coaching would be an option uh, shortly after high school. And I've, I've more or less been involved in some kind of coaching ever since I graduated uh, high school. Um, I was at Mountain View High School the last eight years. I just recently uh, resigned uh, Sunday. Um, and then I'm coaching club soccer uh, uh, mostly for San Francisco Elite Academy um, in San Francisco, and then I have uh, one team for the Peninsula Soccer Club in uh, Foster City, and I also help part time at City College of San Francisco, which is the junior college program on the women's side.
0: Why? Uh, why after eight years are you uh, are you hanging up the boots?
1: Yeah, it just it became a time factor. Uh, living in Burlingame and uh, coaching in San Francisco, which is about. 30 to 40 minutes away from Mountain View. Uh, I just couldn't give the time needed. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. We had a, a lot of success, but, you know, at some point you got to make some decisions. So hopefully I'll stay involved in the high school game uh, at some point. Uh, but right now, yeah, just I was forced to make that, make that call. Sad for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of good memories, but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be coaching full time. I still have the club and helping out the college.
0: I want you to kind of paint the picture of, of how your last season went and, and especially how it ended. Um, right. And, and then I want to I kind of go like, like walk backwards through um, your time at the high school and see how either you evolved as a coach or how your program evolved over time. Because I feel like there has to be a difference from the time when you started eight years ago to the time that you ended your, uh, your campaign this most recent season.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so we had a great season. We went 20 wins, three losses, two ties. Um, we made our C-section, C Central Coast section. It's called Open Semifinals, which essentially the Open is the top eight teams in the whole section. Um, and then we made the NorCal D2 final, losing in overtime 1-0. Uh, we had a really good group this year. Uh, we had some young kids. Um, we had a freshman, Ali Montoya, uh, who recently verbal to Stanford, so she was definitely a top top level kid. We have um, there's a really good club program in that area, MVLA, um, so we obviously get a lot of talent from there. Uh, no no question, that's part of our uh, success. Um, but yeah, the last eight years, uh, you know, I love my high school experience playing and i kind of helped i went to burlingham high school and my first year out of high school i was an assistant for the boys program just helping out while i was still playing at the local junior college and i kind of fell in love with kind of what high school is Uh, it's a lot different than club Uh, i feel clubs a little more business-like you know you're trying to get scholarships and all that type of stuff where i think high school could be a lot more of a family type of environment kind of playing for your school playing for your community Um, and we were fortunate to be in a good area with talent, so we, we, were, we were successful just about every season. I'm
0: curious about the relationship that you have with the clubs as a as a high school coach, and this is something Rest. that I think a lot of people can relate to, whether whether or not they're a club coach or a high school coach. So it goes both ways. But you mentioned that you you benefit from you know the local club having a. a a very good program and, and feeding you very good players. So I'm curious, what is the relationship like with the club? Is there any communication or is it just, Hey, you know, now it's high school season, all these players are mine and then I'll give them back to you in three months.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do mostly communication through the kids. Uh, but I think being a club coach myself, I fully understand, you know, that first month in November when we start, they're still doing club. Um, so we're only got, we only want a few days a week. Um, because it really does me no good to go five days a week in november if the, all these kids are getting hurt come february in playoff time um so i'm fully understanding that there's an overlap and these kids are doing a lot um and i've also done a lot of studying in terms of you know how the body gets affected with too much overload uh the last few years um so i'm cognizant of that uh but yeah no, I, feel like I have a good relationship and i'm always communicating if coaches have any questions um, or we can help each other out because uh, at the end of the day it's about the kids we want the kid to be healthy and we want the kid to enjoy the obviously their club experience but also their high school experience and if we push them too hard too early physically um, then I think that can turn sour uh, pr- pretty quickly uh, so I felt like we had a good relationship and uh, the kids enjoyed playing for the high school and they had a lot of success uh, and they, then when they go back to their club teams they have a lot of success there as well.
0: Remind me of your guys's record this uh, last season?
1: Um, it was twenty wins, three losses, two ties
0: so twenty five games total
1: twenty five, yeah, including all the playoff games.
0: and so yeah and, and that's I'm glad that you brought that up because playoffs, let's see so you know first second, third round, whatever you yeah. five five playoff games would you say we
1: play yeah, we played two in the section and three in the North house okay so yeah that... it was it was it was brutal uh, you know <laughs> being up front about just physically. I think the NorCal, we had a Thursday night game in Santa Rosa that ended up going to penalties. And it was like a really good back and forth game. Um, and then to return around and play the final Saturday and even both teams, you can see, were just tired. And then the level dropped. There wasn't as much running going on. Uh, but it's the only way they can squeeze everything in schedule-wise
0: yeah well what uh, what actually stands out to me is that you know minus the five playoff games because not everybody's guaranteed the five playoff games a lot of times coaches at the high school level will really beef up their their game schedule and try to get like 30 even 35 games sometimes've I've seen on on you know the coaches uh, on the team's schedules with ter- including tournaments and all kinds of other stuff right but they right try, yeah they, they try to squeeze the absolute most out of their their game schedule and what it appears that you've done, with only 20 games, like, you know, regularly scheduled games, between the end of November and probably the middle of February, it seems like you've lightened the load a little bit on your players. Is that intentional?
1: Yeah, I can't actually take the, everything for that, because uh, our section in the Central Coast, the max games you can play is 20. Okay. But I know other sections around, uh, you know, NorCal and maybe SoCal, it's much higher and. I I was on the committee, I was a league rep, and we had that discussion, and they always say, well, all these other sections play this many games, and way more, and I'm talking about, could we decrease it by two or three games? So you have us probably playing the least amount of games of maybe of all the high school programs. But I know, like, the team we played, St. Francis with Sacramento in our NorCal final, I think that was their 30th game, uh, for example. So... How, I don't know how these kids' bodies do it. I mean, I guess they do break down <laughs> at some point, but we do our best to kind of, you know, space it out how we can, but obviously it's difficult in such a, you know, tight timeline. What, three months you have to play all those games? Um, so it's tough. And they, uh, every high school season at the end, the kids are tired. and There's really not much you can do about it, but I think all the other positives, uh, you know, outweigh the, that part of it.
0: Did uh, I? I didn't quite pick up on it, but did you mention that you were part of like the decision making process for? So we, for the so National each,
1: World? each, so in our league, which is the Santa Clara Valley Athletic League, I was the league rep, um, and then each league rep is part of a CCS committee for girls soccer. Um, so at the end of the season, we have a big meeting and we kind of just talk about anything if we want to change or uh, what rules we like and that type of stuff. So that, that was the kind of the committee I was part of. Got it. Got it. Um,
0: all right, let's, uh, let's, let's jump back into, you know, the process that you went through over the course of your eight years with the high school. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how, how old were you when you took over the program?
1: So let's say I'm 33 now, so I guess 25.
0: And what was your coaching experience like prior to that?
1: Um, so from the high school standpoint, it was, you know, a few years of varsity assistant and then I had about four, six about six to seven years as a JV um, head coach and I think at that time I was at the Juventus uh, Sport Club which is in Redwood City um, you know just being a you know normal normal youth coach um, so I think they probably took a chance <laughs> on you know someone who's 25 uh, but I think I think it worked out all right
0: <laughs> so it sounds like then you started coaching you know 18 or 19 years old is that right
1: yeah, just kind of part-time. And then I think my first head coaching job um, was kind of co-occurring. I was at the, the girls' JV job at Burlingame High School opened up, and I think I was probably like 21. Um, and then I also got a really young team at the Burlingame Soccer Club, so that kind of kick-started the, the, the coaching career uh, as a head coach.
0: And everything went perfect, right? They played like Man City, and you were yeah, of course
1: no yeah yeah i think just how the players grow you uh, learn and grow as a coach um and i think one of the biggest mistake coaches make uh and maybe in this country especially is thinking i already know everything um but i'm definitely of the mindset even today where I, i'm learning i'm either looking on twitter watching other coaches sessions watching numerous professional games to kind of see how can i help myself because if i'm helping myself that means i'm going to go help my team and players uh try to reach their next level
0: What were what were some of the things you remember doing as a as a young coach? Like what 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 were some of the things that were staples in your training sessions then that might not be part of your training sessions now?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, young. You kind of I think when you first started coaching, you take you know what your what your coaches taught you, Um, and you know in the Burlingame Club, we actually had some really good coaches um, club coaches there who are doing some really great things now. Uh, So I was able to learn from uh, some of them. Um, and a lot of those are from the the South American culture, like Argentinian and that type. Um, But I think right now I'm I'm definitely doing a lot more like Rondo positional play type stuff that I didn't do as much 10, 15 years ago. Um, So I I would say that's probably the biggest thing. And also I think like how you deal with the players and parents. Uh, I think as as you grow and get more experience, you feel a little more comfortable on that side of things.
0: Yeah, man, the, the political the political side of it is, is something that nobody ever really wants to talk about, especially open, openly and, and honestly. Uh, but not, not knowing how to navigate that as a young coach can be, you know, devastating. It was for me, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest about that. It was really devastating for me. So.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely same way. I've, I've had one or two experiences where, you know, you, you kind of feel like you get stabbed in the back, but you also realize it happens to every coach at some point. Um, so kind of how you learn from it. Um, I I think is the biggest thing, but no, you want to, you know, you need parents on your side. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the more support you have from them, I think the better the overall experience will be. Uh, But I also think it's good to be honest with the parents and the kids about kind of what level their kids are at, what's realistic in terms of reaching their goals. I think a lot of coaches just tell them what they want to hear. So in the short term, it's a really feel good type of situation. Uh, But then long-term that can come back to bite you in the butt.
0: Do you, or or let's uh, I I guess I kind of want to stay on track. I want to try to pick apart your eight years there. So when sure. you when you started, and you realized, or you or you started to realize the value of having the parents and the players on your side. Um, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is how did your interactions with the parents and players change over the course of eight years. And so when you started eight years ago, did you have any type of parent player meetings? And, and if so, how did those evolve into what you ultimately ended up with, you know, eight years later?
1: Yeah. I mean, so like kind of each season, um, the actual season starts in November, but like in September, we'd have like a sign-up meeting at school during lunch um and i was just more of just an introduction uh to get the kids familiar with me i can see like where the kids play and get their names and positions um and then the beginning of each season we have a parent meeting um just kind of me outlining you know what am i trying to achieve this year with this group um and if they have any questions that's the right time i feel like in high school compared to club there's not quite as much you know maybe face to face parent and coach discussion um, but I feel like in club, um, I feel like that's a lot more parent coach involved. Um, but what I did every week is I think the parents appreciate is I literally just sent out the schedule for the week. So something as simple as that, I think the parents appreciate. So they know, you know, what time's practice over, uh, games, um, if you're doing any team events off the field. So I think little things like that, uh, can go a long way. Um, I think for parents, yeah, they want their kid to be happy, but they just want to know what's going on. Um, and then both in high school and club, I periodically every two weeks send like, what are we working on? Um, so when they try to see things in games, if we're working on playing out of the back, right, it's obvious to them, those type of factors. Um, so I think the more you can communicate, uh, with parents, even if you don't get any responses to your emails, uh, I think they appreciate that and they at least know uh, why you're doing it
0: it's a very, it's a very, very good point. And I'm going to relate it to refereeing, but it, it's something that applies to coaching as well. And you don't ever want somebody's, um, first time of hearing your voice or, or hearing from you to be a negative experience. And so, you know, as a coach, if you can break that ice, you know, just with a weekly email about the schedule, at least the parents know, like there's a little bit of communication and, and you know, the, you know, the the line is open but if right. the if the communication if the very first time that they ever hear from you is hey like you know little sally has a problem and 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 you know this is this is the problem and this is how we need to solve it well that's kind of you know not the yeah. best way to to open communication with the parents so Absolutely. i talk i talk about it with referees all the time it's like if you show up to the field and you decide to stay in your little corner and you know get dressed and and whatever and, and walk on the field at, at you know two minutes before kickoff and you haven't introduced yourself to the coaches and and you haven't talked to them about how you want, you know, certain things to go, whatever. And if the first time that you have to talk to a coach is because the coach is yelling at you or, or, you know, not doing the procedures the way that you want them, that's going to come off as negative. And you had the yeah. opportunity to open the line of communication in a positive way before the match. So I always talk to referees, especially young referees about, Hey, just go up and shake the coach's hand beforehand say, say what's up. And, yeah. and, and it's, absolutely applicable to coaching as well. It's like just open the line of communication with the parents. Yeah. Something easy. Yeah. Like you mentioned, uh,
1: Hey, yeah, here's absolutely. the schedule. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I will say on the reffing part, I did ref before I coach and it was probably one of the best things I ever did. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> I think it gives me an understanding of what the refs see during games and what they're thinking. Um, where, you know, how many times do you see a coach with one ref make one mistake and they go off. Um, so I kind of appreciate that side of the things too. So I know a lot of coaches haven't done that, uh, but I, I'm definitely appreciative of doing that before I started coaching full time. I think it's helped me on the sideline uh, during games for sure.
0: One of the, one of the uh, things I've been, I've been joking about with the, with the referees lately. It's like, what if, what if our refereeing level matched the level of the game? Like if, if, yeah. uh, if, if we were the quality that the, that the teams were on the field. It's like, right. oh, my God, the, re- the, like, the coaches wouldn't be able to handle it if I said that. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah. I think I saw something on Twitter. It was just like a quote just like, you know, the players aren't perfect and the coaches aren't perfect, but why does everyone expect the ref to be perfect? <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, no, it's true. I mean, they're going to make mistakes. Yeah, you hope it's not a PK or a big call in a game, but it's just – it's reality. So when I see like U10 coaches going off on a ref, I just – I just shake my head every time I see it, like, at a tournament or a local field.
0: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's another but, can of worms. I don't want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, right? exactly.
1: Well, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll stay on course.
0: I'm um, actually uh, – I reached out to um, Dr. Joe Matchnick, and okay. he's going to be a guest on the podcast. And I have another interview with another referee scheduled for later today. And And the other day I was thinking to myself – and I've said it before, I think, on the podcast, that I've never had a referee on the show – and yeah. you know, I've been saying this for like years now. And and then I realized I have had a referee on the show. I had uh John Mata, who's the uh, okay. um, yeah. soccer um, board member, and, and he right. he started out as a referee in his local association, made it all the way up to you know working opening day for MLS.
1: Yeah. Um, it's pretty it's pretty cool. But yeah, no, it's definitely a different uh thought process and it was good to hear their side as, uh, as well.
0: Yeah. Um I want to. I want to keep diving into that that communication, though, with the parents and yeah. and even just you know. I kind of hinted at it and then steered it towards refereeing, but you know, just opening right. the line of communication. And, and you mentioned something that was really interesting to me, and something that I think a lot of coaches, uh, well, I've experienced it, and I'm assuming that other coaches have experienced, maybe not a lot of coaches, but um, the lack of response. So, like, you send out something right. in into um, the, the world of the parents and then nobody responds. And so you're kind of sitting there as a coach wondering like, okay, like, did anybody read it? Did like what, what yeah. happened? So tell, tell me a little bit about,
1: yeah, I think when I was young and like granted all, not all these coaches emails are asking for a response. Um, but yeah, there's times where I'm like, a are they reading it? And B do they care? <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end, this is, happens almost at the end of every season, uh, high school for sure. And even club, I really appreciate all the emails you send and keeping us informed. And then where I'm like, okay, it was worth it. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes when you get no response, you kind of, you're assuming things, but I think it's just their way, you know, of, you know, they don't need to respond. So, so to speak, uh, and you'll get a few responses, here and there um but i think yeah it's really important especially in youth soccer keeping keeping the parents informed uh as much as you can uh you know in the the high school game we try to give a lot of responsibility to the kids because if you have a freshman coming in their parents probably do 99 percent of their communication leading up to that with their coaches with the youth coaches um now i kind of put it on the kids to do this because i think You know, gives them responsibility and it's, you know, they're going to be in college in four years and that's real life. You know, your your mom and dad aren't going to email your professor or college coach. It's it's up to you. So I'm hopeful by practicing that for three to four years, they're more prepared when they get to that stage of their life.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I did with the girls team um, when I when I was coaching the varsity girls was I. I wanted to communicate with the girls themselves and their parents, and so if the girls didn't have an email address, one of their first assignments was to get an email address. Like go to the yeah, yeah. and sign up for for that, so that way you get all the communication as well as your parents. And so everybody's just you know the players were the first part, and then all the parents were cc'd on the yeah. on the email. So the email was going out to like sixty people. Yeah, um,
1: that's anyway. exactly what I have. Exact same, but it's both the players and parents on my list. Yeah. And and I
0: I do think that that's important as well. So anytime you're communicating with a player, you always include the parents. So that way there's no Absolutely. Kind of gray
1: area. Yeah, um, no, totally. Um no <laughs> no, no doubt about it.
0: Um do you ever do you ever address specifically like that you that you don't care if you get responses? Like do you ever say, Hey, like don't worry about no.
1: responding? No, I've never. I I think once I got some of those emails at the end of seasons, kinda thanking, being appreciative of that. Um, Whether it be in person or over email, Um, I I came to the conclusion like, okay, this is just the the way it is. Um, But I also understand if you're sending literally an email every week, you know, there's no need for a parent to respond every single time. Um, If they have a question or a concern, you know, they'll come to you. You hope they come to you, Um, and then you deal with that as as it comes. But no, yeah, I think as I went through the years, I realized, okay, this is just this is just how it is for the most part.
0: I'd be really curious to know what other coaches do. So, people that are listening to this, if you guys, you know, go find the the episode when I when I tweet it out, and then just in that thread, if you guys could just add in some thoughts on on how you guys okay. handle communication, that'd be great. So that's a message, yeah, to the listeners. Um, what a uh, let me see how I can ask this because there's two thoughts that popped into my head. I guess I'll go with the, this one because this was first. You said that you know a, a fr- an incoming freshman is new to the communication aspect um you know their parents for the most part to that point are doing most of the communication with their club but now high school is a little bit different do you do any type of like mentoring or or purpose purposeful um or intentional uh yeah i guess mentoring is the right the right word uh for the the players as they as they get older because a lot of college coaches now I've seen more often than ever before are demanding that the players be the ones communicating with them if they're asking for information about their college programs.
1: Yeah, no, very true. So kind of what I do with that is at the beginning of each season before our first game, I'll have one V one meetings with each kid. Um, And from a high school standpoint, I ask, you know, what are your goals for the season? You know, where do you envision yourself? And I give them some of kind of where I see them. Um, but I also say, look, if you ever need any help of college or anything like that, I'm, I'm happy to help. Well, I know club coaches do most of the kind of the recruiting aspect. They figure since I am decently connected in some way to college coaches, I offer my assistance. Um, and there's been times where, you know, I know a coach. I mean, hey, I have a player in high school. She plays for this club. You should check her out um type of thing i think a few years ago we had a kid who was committed to santa barbara and i knew the assistant coach and we kind of got got connected uh, that way but i think you just offer yourself as much as you can um and then and i've had i've always had a female assistant coach and i think that's always been helpful uh, so they can lean on if there's any of that type of stuff going on uh, but i think you just want to offer yourself to uh, be helpful and i think when the parents and players realize how much you care, um, then I think that really helps them be more committed to the program and really give everything uh, for the team and school.
0: Hey, sit tight. We are going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, Bounce Athletics.
1: As a part-time DOC, I had a budget and you know we needed training gear every year and it just was getting more and more difficult to find decent, high-quality, affordable training balls.
0: That's Zach. He's the co-founder of Bounce Athletics. And as a coach, he was having a hard time finding quality soccer balls at an affordable price. So he started searching for ways to solve that problem for himself and for others.
1: We've been able to experiment with a lot of different textured materials
0: and construction methods. And, and I think we've really got it dialed in to, to where now, you know, with, with our training balls, we're providing super high level training balls that have all the modern technology in them for a fraction of the price of global brands. Zach and Bounce Athletics are offering 343 members and listeners 10% off orders of those custom premium soccer balls that he was just talking about. Email info at bounceathletics.com to start the order process and be sure to mention 343 to receive your 10% discount. All right, let's get back to the show. Going going back to kind of the evolution of your of your program, when you when you took it over eight years ago, did did a winning tradition already exist or did that become built over your, your tenure?
1: So I think about the previous two years, they were pretty good. Um I think they they made up one final. Um so I don't think they had the long term consistency that the last eight years brought, but it definitely wasn't like a program I had to build from the bottom. Um, So I think that was kind of nice, right? Um, I think when I kind of wanted my first varsity job, although I know it's not realistic in most cases, can I go somewhere where maybe I have a chance to be successful pretty quick? Um, And definitely, you know, I I think that was the case. Um, Our first year we won the section title, um, for for, for example. Um, And then the last six years we won league six times. Uh, six six years in a row so um, I always say I know coaches might want to say it's me it's me but you need good uh, you need good players period right uh, Pep's not going to win at Barcelona without Messi, Xavi and yes as brilliant as he is you know you need that, uh, that talent and then I think you kind of put it all together uh, I think the interesting part of high school is what you're doing is you're bringing like seven or eight different club teams together in a really short period Um, and I think that's probably one of the hardest parts. Uh, you know, we do a lot of technical training, but I think the most important part for a successful high school program, along with good players is can you get them to play together? Can you put them in the right positions and you, can you get them to love playing together? So we do a lot of things off the field. It'd be like dinners or we play like family feud, Pictionary, (laughs) like stuff like that, that I think for at least for the girls game, it, 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 it was brilliant. It really brought them together and. Um, And each year you can see how the how the team comes together and is close. And I think that's that's almost as rewarding as winning titles.
0: Did the did the winning titles and and especially I'm assuming after doing it six years, did did winning become an expectation? And and not only from from you, I'm mainly talking about the players. Like, did the players impress that on the next generation of players? Like, hey, like, you know, you guys are the ones to to carry the torch now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think anytime you have w- a few seasons of winning, um, you know, it's kind of the expectation. So I've never was the type of coach who's like, we got to win league. We got to win this section title. I was more about can we get better every day? Um, and if we get better every day, we have the talent where we're going to put ourselves in a position to contend for league and section titles. Um, and I, And I think the girls through the years did a really good job of buying into that. Um, and I think there's a sense of pride playing for your your high school. Um, I know we could talk about the whole DA and all that with the boys and girls uh, another time, but I think there's, for me, I've won, you know, I've won the State Cup title. I've played in Surf Cup finals. Um, I've won an MPL title, but oh, there's nothing like winning a section title. I think our last few section title we won were at Santa Clara University on their field with you know, a bunch of fans and all the students. And I think that's, that's the most memorable. So I think that's one of the neat things about high school and the community that you might not get the way you go play in a ECNL championship game. Who's there, right? You're playing like in Virginia and maybe you'll have 10 parents there. So as brilliant as it is on that level, and that's the high that's highest level along with the DA, I think it's more memorable to probably win a section title in front of your friends and schoolmates.
0: Yeah. I've I've been beating that drum quite a bit lately about the difference in representing your community versus the like kind of like the standard club soccer, um, uh, yeah, standard club soccer teams that we have now. It's like there's very few kids that are willing to bleed for their their club, especially if they're driving like three four hours from a different community that you know that that doesn't represent them. Um, Absolutely. Not to say that kids don't want to win. Of course they want to win, but it's just a, a, a different feeling.
1: Yeah, it's different. I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, club is the highest level. I yes. mean, I, yes. I, I, I know it. Every, <laughs> everyone with any ID knows it. But I think, you know, high school could be memorable. And uh, I think they should have the choice to play high school. If a kid doesn't want to play high school, that's I don't think that's an issue at all. Uh, but I think when it's mandated and that type of stuff, it becomes a little bit of uh, a gray area. So yeah, my, my eight years there, and if I go coach another high school in the future, you want to try to make the experience as good as possible. It's not going to be perfect all the time because that's not reality. Um, but I think for the most part, the kids enjoyed uh, their time, you know, both with the success on the field and, you know, making all their friendships and uh, camaraderie off the field.
0: You know what I would like to see is just to, to have American soccer embrace the, the school systems like, Hey, like let's, right. let's allow high schools and, and elementary schools and junior high schools to form their own clubs and to participate in the club soccer system. Like, I think that right. would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And, and to utilize all the facilities and things like that, and then just take those teams and put them into the club network. Like let the kids represent their neighborhoods by, you know, training and playing and, and whatever, and going to school with their teammates. That's, that's amazing. Let's, let's build on that instead of, you know, trying to find ways to, uh, manipulate and, and, and create new things and exclude people and, and, and in only include certain people. It's, you know it becomes a mess. And instead I feel like we should just be building on the infrastructure that exists already in, in public schools and private schools. Like it's there's yeah. an amazing infrastructure already.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I think you know, without reading someone's mind, I, I think too much people at the top feel like there's only one way to success and it's their way. Uh, but in reality, regardless if it's high school club you know, ODP, PDP, what, super white, whatever it is, I think all those things bring different types of success and different types of experience that can help mold the player and a person uh, better than just saying you have to do this 100% of the time and you can't try anything else. Um, and I know I've enjoyed club, high school, college, ODP, I've been involved in all of it and both bring me different types of joy. Um, but I can say for sure I wouldn't be as good of a, a coach as I am today if I didn't experience all four of those things, if all I did was club hundred percent of the time or something, I think it would kind of hold me back from seeing different sides of the game and working with different types of kids.
0: Oh, 100% man. And it's like, you need, you need that extra lens to look through sometimes to, right. to understand what, it, what other people are going through. Like you mentioned rep, you, you had a referee a little bit. So just knowing yeah. that you have that lens to look through, it, it kind of, helps you see things differently than other people. And that's very beneficial. One of the ones I always look through is, uh, I helped start a program for three to six year olds at a YMCA. And so a lot of times when people are talking about the difficulties of, you know, introducing kids to soccer and preparing them for their first team experience, I'm thinking back like, yeah, it was a fucking pain in the ass to get those (laughs) uh, three-year-olds to do something organized. And, and, and so like having that lens to, to refer back to, it's is very important to me. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think the more experience and growth of wide range of activities we can do, uh, whether it be a coach, a player, a parent, um, I think it just makes us better. Um, so I know in today's, uh, soccer world, you know, everyone wants to be like, you have to do DA, you have to do ECNO or. Uh, all that stuff, you know, hopefully, hopefully one day it can all come together. So you can rather be club where you can put, you know, how, how great would it be if the DA and UC was one yep. like those games and the levels, the college coaches wouldn't have to go to all these different venues on the same weekend. Uh, now, is that realistic? You know, that's, that's a whole nother uh, discussion, but, uh, but I think, the day the top does what's best for kind of the player, uh, and only the player, then I think we'll be better off uh, as a, as a soccer country, short term and long term.
0: You're absolutely right, man. And it's the people that are at the top that need to make that decision for what. No, it's it, sorry. I'm gonna take that back. Well, it's the people at the top that have the ability to make the decision, but it's the right. people at the bottom that need to keep putting pressure on the people at the top for them to make that decision because if we're all just complacent here in the, in in the bottom and nobody's speaking up about the problems that they see and and blah, blah, blah. Well then, yeah, things just goes on, it just goes on cruise control and people, um, people decide to make the wrong decisions and, and they don't hear any of the backlash. And, and, and we saw it on a national scale in, um, 2017 you know when the men's national team failed to qualify yeah. the backlash and and how that just even just put the slightest bit of pressure on people but we can't right. stop like it like one year of pressure is not enough pressure to make right. the, the changes that need to be made but if yeah if we keep you know pushing from the bottom the people at the top will keep he- they they hear us but they need to continue to feel the pressure like i don't know like i I almost said something. I shouldn't say it, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to (laughs) say it, but it seems like that still at the top is, 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 you know, a pissing contest and, and who can, who could absorb the most control or who can keep the most control. And, and and until that really changes, then we probably won't see any, you know, huge change at the bottom, which sucks. Yeah,
1: no, I think that's fair. Uh, You know, obviously they're the decision makers. uh, And I think, You know, whether it be like politics in this country, people who want change or it would be uh, in in sport. I think the more people under them would be the amateur leagues, the youth leagues, U.S. club soccer, all those different type of people asking for change and trying to do what's best for the kids. Uh, I think it has the best chance. The hard part is there's so many people playing soccer in so many leagues. Like, is it realistic to bring it all together? Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is are we seeing steps towards trying to do the right thing? Um, and, you know, we can get into that conversation uh, later. Uh, I think it's safe to say there hasn't been enough steps uh, yet, but hopefully in the near future, as uh, soccer keeps growing in this country, both on the youth level and professionally, um, they'll be forced to keep doing what's best uh for the overall product, and that's going to help our national teams. You know, it's going to help the women stay on top, hopefully, and it's going to hopefully uh, close the gap between where the men are right now and, you know, where the the Brazils and those type of countries are.
0: You mentioned something that's really interesting to me. You mentioned, you know, politics, and in soccer politics, we don't have really a, a competition of ideas. There's no real arena for a, a competition of ideas and, and, you know, kind of evidenced by our most recent AGM where the vice president was, you know, a winner going into it. Like she knew she was was no competition there. And and that's really, that's that's really disheartening. So, you know, it's not like our, our regular political climate where, you know, there's Democrats and Republicans and Green Party and other people that are going to be able to, you know, have a legitimate chance at, at, you know, changing things. But here it's like, there's no, there, that that competition doesn't exist and and th- that is what is really scary to me to think that we lack that competition of ideas even in like the a boardroom setting like that is frightening to
1: me. yeah and the funny part is you go to a big club youth trail you're seeing 150 kids for 20 spots so it's like you have the sometimes the competition on the very youth levels yep. but then you don't have it whether it be you know the promotion relegation to try to push the amateur leagues to go higher and you know look look at our i'm a local earthquakes fan We're right now we're probably at the bottom of the league you know what's the incentive for them to really improve you know when you don't you know you're not worried about dropping down like you would in the epl or la liga or uh, all those different countries. Um, but I definitely think, yeah, con- I mean, I'm a big fan of competition. Um, I think too many people think competition has to be dirty. Uh, but in reality, healthy competition is what makes kids better. It's like if a kid's trying to go play at Stanford on the women's side, how much competition does she have? It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so if that can bring competition, you know, why, why can't a simple running for vice president of the U.S. Soccer Board bring it?
0: Well, what you just said about competition not having to be dirty in an open competitive system that it is healthy and, and, you know, competition is um, not only welcomed, but it it, it helps the entire ecosystem. It it, it helps everything. But when you have a closed system, that is completely unhealthy and that is where things become super dirty. And and that's what people never really zero in on is that, you know, that, that environment is the dirtiest of them all right and it, it, it's it's like it, it's frightening how how dirty it is like that's when you know um corruption and manipulation and and fraud and all these other things like become you know the stars of the show yeah i, I should be careful what i say i guess
1: yeah yeah i know i'm there with you um <laughs> but yeah i know it's tough so you hope uh you know we see that type of stuff and all these different facets of life yep. uh but you hope you know soccer so big if you look at how, how many kids are playing youth soccer in america it's, it's it's unbelievable i mean i don't know the number off the top of my head but i bet you it's some of the most in the whole na- uh, whole world um so hopefully we can you know learn from that and also take advantage of it i think that's the that's the biggest thing if you have so many kids who love soccer and it's growing so much you know there's no reason uh, that the our national teams can't be uh, some of the best one day uh, on the men's side and for the woman to stay on top
0: I remember seeing a number around the World Cup time last okay. summer, where you know California has more registered youth soccer players than the total population of Iceland. Something <laughs> that, yes. that's, that's that's ridiculous, man.
1: Uh, what's what's that saying? It's not how many you have; it's what you do with what you have.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I've I've been saying for I mean a lot of people say it too, but I I wholeheartedly believe it that if you know Southern California had its own national team, I think it would beat our United States national team.
1: Yes, yeah, no it's it, it would be at least a very good game uh, no, yeah sure. no, boom I mean yeah, I mean I, even just norcal and I know socal's deeper, but like the amount of good youth players you see um on the field on a, on a given weekend it's 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 amazing uh, whether it be a pickup game or you know obviously a a tournament or a you know mpl game a da you see now whatever it is there's just, the talent there is in this uh this state is really impressive uh, and hopefully it'll have a chance to keep shining
0: hey i i have i have a serious question for you yeah because i know bay area people are very very um very very prideful and um and they love their communities and they, they, they love like, I'm thinking Golden State Warriors. I'm thinking San Francisco Giants and, and you know, the, the the fan communities that have built around those, those two teams and Golden State and representing Oakland, I think is, has, has almost hit the nail on the head. Like, like that, their, yeah. their, their brand represents Oakland very, very well, in my opinion, or it appears to at yeah. least. Yeah. What do the San Jose Earthquakes represent?
1: Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, obviously I think San Jose is a huge market for soccer, uh, especially the la- la- Latino community. Um, but up until be- I think most recently, the president, I think of the Oakland A's and their Quakes was the same person. Uh-huh. So maybe they'd have someone really dedicated uh, to to the Quakes in terms of trying to take it uh, to, to the next level. Um, you know you you see all these other you know whether it be David Villa who went to New York or Zlatan in LA it's like until you attract some uh, a star that's willing to come to your area um, I think you're just it it handcuffs you a little bit Um, and I think there's a lot of young talent that's coming through and I know the earthquakes have signed some of their young academy players um, so I'm hoping you know some of those can come through the system and be a big part but you know i used to have season tickets with a friend a few years ago and then i think we all kind of decided just like it's not worth the money i mean uh, i felt like it was more important to how big their bar is than compared to what the product (laughs) on the field was (laughs) Uh, um and i love watching the games and i'll still go to games when when i'm not working uh but yeah no I, i think it is important like when you're in a community whether it be a small club in croatia or wherever it might be like what are you representing I think when you can outline that and outline what you're trying to achieve, uh, you have a better chance for success. And I think there's some uh, clubs ODMOS or MLS or USL are probably still trying to figure exactly what that is.
0: I just hope they're doing it with a genuine belief that they that, that they can build that relationship with their community instead of just trying to capitalize on like brand power. And-
1: Absolutely, I think you have you have to do. At worst, you have to do both. um and like i remember i still remember i went to the when donovan was on the quakes and they played that galaxy playoff game and they came back from like it was like four goals or something uh in that second leg at spartan stadium where san jose state is and like full house crowd was wild it was it was really impressive but like i don't know if it has that i don't think it has that same feeling present day no
0: no way not even close
1: um, but hopefully it comes back because, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely nice to have a pro team and locally, soccer-wise. Um, and I know there's some USL ones that are coming through. I think the one in Oakland is starting up soon. Uh, I heard that podcast, I think, was it last week or something? Yeah. Um, so I think the more uh, opportunity, the I guess the people with the money to bring these clubs to uh, our Bay Area, the better chance we have. I know Sac Republic is doing some great things up there. so. It would be nice if they become an MLS team, because um, I know that community and a lot of coaches up there—they—they they, they love it. <laughs> they, everything that the SAC uh, brings, the SAC Republic Club brings to them is a is a big deal. Um, so hopefully, we'll have that same feeling with the Quakes very soon.
0: If I was SAC Republic, I would be I would be so mad because they've okay. done such a good job of, of connecting with their community and 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 you know starting something that is really special. And, right. to, you know, to have to just be waiting to to have somebody else, you know, say, OK, yes, you can come in the door now. Um, that's that's got to be frustrating. And I went to one of their games a few years ago and they had like a stage on one end of the field and they were playing live music. And and, you know, it was at the I think their stadium. I think it still is. But uh, at the time was at the you know the state fairgrounds and there's all kinds of other shit just happening all around it. And it, it's just the atmosphere was amazing for a team that was what at the time so it would have been three years ago they're still second division but you know yeah kind of just, you know barely starting it was cool like i i had a, i had a blast and, and everybody yeah. else there seemed like genuinely happy to be there
1: and, yeah i agree i was uh i remember i was playing the placer tournament one one year and there was a republic game that same night and we went with a bunch of coaches and it was it was a great time I mean, uh so i think uh, I mean, it's just fun you know both you get a little 10 year old you know watching these players with their eyes lit up uh and also you see the adults with the sense of pride that okay this might happen uh so no ho- hopefully it works out uh f- for them up there and i think it would create a fun little rivalry with uh, the quakes in the republic
0: that would be pretty badass um all right we're five minutes over from when i told you so i'm going to ask you my uh my famous question uh <laughs> What uh? What do you think people need to know? So, people listening to this podcast, we've talked about I don't know, high school soccer, college soccer, club soccer, Northern California soccer. We've talked all kinds of stuff. So, if uh, if you had to narrow it down to one thing that people need to know, what do you what do you think?
1: They yeah, know? Uh, tough question, but I'll do I'll do my best. Um, I think the biggest thing, and this might be pour, more geared towards a player, is there are many avenues of success. And I think, uh, you know, coming up with some steps, like for me, like my first step is define what is success to you. The success to one person might be completely different to another. Like, you know, Stanford, you know, full ride might be someone else, but going to play D3 on the East Coast might be someone else's goal. And I think both goals are absolutely terrific. Um, But you got to kind of have a plan to reach a certain level. So whether you're a player, a parent, a coach, If you don't have a plan to kind of reach your next level, whatever it might be, then usually uh, you you get lost. And I think the biggest thing is the willingness to put the time and effort into achieving your goals. Um, So whether it be a player trying to reach the college game, a coach trying to coach that next level uh, and all that type of stuff. um, There's no substitute for time and effort. Um, you, can, you can be talented but you've seen so many of these of talented kids not put in the extra time outside of the training um, and they never really reach their goals um, so I think you know many people want us to think there's only one way to a successful uh, coaching and player career but I think there's multiple ways and as, as long as you have a plan or are willing to put the time in uh, you have a good chance to reach uh, whatever level you're trying to reach
0: perfect I love that answer um, all right. Where can, uh, where can people connect with you or learn more about you and, and maybe follow your next steps?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm on, I'm on social media. I'm semi-active. Um, but like Facebook, it's just, uh, you know, Ivan Bandov. You can search me and find me there. Um, and then I'm on Instagram at ITB, um, and football, which is F-U-T-B-O-L. And then I'm on Twitter uh, at just hashtag, um, Ivan Bandov. Um, and I'm probably mostly Facebook and Instagram, but I do, I'm, I'm on Twitter and mostly just retweet and (laughs) try to learn more from people like you and other people. Um, I don't, I don't get into the crazy conversations as much, uh, but definitely, yeah, those are the places you can find me. Um, and yeah, I'm just trying to do the best I can with my coaching career and hopefully inspire some kids to reach that next level
0: very cool man i'll link to all those uh, all those things in the show notes and hopefully people connect with you and pick your brain a little bit more
1: awesome man. i appreciate the time it was a lot of fun
0: all right dude champions league time now
1: all right let's <laughs> do it all right take care
0: all right later All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to our sponsor, Bounce Athletics. I also want to leave you with one note from one of our members of the 343 coaching education program. His name is Thomas and he's been a member for quite a while. And this is what he had to say. If you want to play insanely good with your team and start to understand the possession and positional game, this will give you a head start. I have tried the material on three ordinary teams and after a year, they totally dominate the local teams. After two years, they are among the best in the region. The Program 343 offers is not a complicated curriculum. It's actually simpler than you might think. But instead of more, you have to go deep in every detail. Thomas, thank you so much for that beautiful review and I hope that everybody else finds that valuable. If you want more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that helps support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. All right, we'll catch you guys next time here on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening.